Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown again. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is September 11th, 2010. We all know what happened nine years ago, which, by the way, the number nine is the number of uh, judgment. And September is the ninth month, a month of judgment. And lo and behold, uh, during usually during the time of September, the Jews celebrate Yom Teruah, or the Feast of Trumpets. And it's not the Jews' feast, it's God's feast, as we look in Leviticus chapter 23. Let's turn there. Leviticus chapter 23. Beginning in verse 1, The Lord spoke unto Moses, or Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, The feast of the Lord. So these aren't the feasts of the Jews, these are the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations or assemblies, they are my feasts. So these aren't the Jews' feasts. These are God's feasts. And he commands anyone who claims to believe in Yeshua Messiah, because Yeshua Messiah himself did keep these feasts, to also keep them as well, despite what uh, Christianity teaches today, um, popular Christianity. So the title of this program, this is somewhat an impromptu uh, Bible study because uh, I have studied into this subject matter in great detail. Uh, are we in the last days? I know a lot of people question that as was prophesied. Let's turn to Second Peter. And many people are confused about the sequence of events, and I'm going to try to summarize that today as, as easy as I can. But in Second Peter, chapter 3, states, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles, the Lord and Savior. So this is telling you what the foundation of prophecy is. The foundation of prophecy is the prophetic books and also what Yeshua instructed the apostles to, to write, which is the apostolic scriptures. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, or mockers, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You have some people teaching a false doctrine that, that Christ won't come back until after the millennium. And I heard one 
a so-called Torah teacher uh, preach this, and he's saying, well, where is it? It's, it's past the year 2000 now, uh, and they've been teaching that uh, people that teach uh, pre-thousand uh, pre years or millennialism that there will be a 6,000-year plan, and that's true. But none of us really know when it started. I know Mr. Usher stated that Adam was born in the year 4004 B.C., but we're not really sure. What we do know is this. Uh, hold your place in Second Peter chapter 3 and turn to Revelation chapter 20. We know that the thousand years won't start until the devil is um, taken captive and chained. It says right here in Revelation chapter 20. It says, And I saw an angel come down, verse 1, from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So that's when a thousand years begin, when the devil is bound for a thousand years. Verse 3, And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And then verse 4, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. So it's, when the devil is chained, that's when the thousand years begin, and then that's when the rule, rulership of Yeshua and the saints begin, as it states here in the last part of this verse, in verse 4. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And there's another scripture in Revelation chapter 5 that states plainly that we will reign on the earth. Uh, Revelation 5 verse 10, and it has made... Us unto our God, kings and priests, colon, continue to thought, and we shall reign on the earth. So that theory that Christ won't be present with the saints and won't be ruling on the earth is, is just a bunch of garbage. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 2 and also Isaiah chapter 11 and many other prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, the parables that Christ spoke about, about giving a certain individual rulership over so many cities. I mean, it's obvious that he's going to be there. Now, is he going to be always there on the earth? I think common sense should tell us I don't think so. Uh, he's going to, of course, visit his father at times. I think this is a, a plausible and, 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 and clean assumption that uh, not only Christ, but we also as spirit beings will be allowed to visit the father during the millennium. And, of course, after the millennium, God the Father himself will come with the New Jerusalem from heaven and he's going to come to the earth, and that will be his permanent residence. That's what Revelation chapter 21 reveals. Okay, so anyway, getting back to Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 4. This is a prophecy because many people are doubting as I'm speaking. Uh, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. But this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he wants everyone to come to repentance and not have to suffer. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Uh, verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And that's talking about exactly what that's going to happen uh, when, when Christ comes back, and even somewhat before he comes back as you read the book of Revelation. Verse 13, nevertheless we... According to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So the old earth and the old heaven will pass away, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth after the thousand years. That's what that's talking about there. All right. And I, I went over this in detail that when Christ comes back, there's going to be a great burning. If we look at Isaiah chapter 66. Uh, in the archives, I have the Bible study, when Christ comes back, what's going to happen first. I think I phrased it that, that way. And looking at it, and I go into detail about this. I don't have time to, to go into detail again about that, but I'm just going to quote a couple of scriptures here. Isaiah chapter uh, 66. Isaiah chapter 66. Verse 15, it says, So behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. And verse 16, this is how he's going to judge the wicked. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. So it's going to be people being burnt up here uh, when he comes back. And in uh, Malachi, which I used to close each and every program, in dramatic Bible audio form, in Malachi, your King James Bible is the last book of the Bible, in uh, Malachi, chapter 4, it says, for, for behold, the day comes, and this is talking about the day of the Lord, that shall burn as an oven. So obviously, to the wicked, this day is going to burn as an oven to them. And all the proud, yes, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So there's nothing going to be left of them. Verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as the cows of the stall, and you shall thread down the wicked. Why are, are, are the righteous going to thread down the wicked? For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. Okay. And the context of this destruction is an admonition for us to remember the law of Moses, which is the law of God. And by the way, please listen to my six hour Bible study that explains that the law of Moses is the law of God and it was not nailed to the cross and it never will be. Um, the first part of that Bible study is is the law of Moses nailed to the cross. The second part is what is sin and the third is one law that should be one Torah because Tor, I mean law, in the Old Testament is translated in the English law, but it should be Tor, which is the teachings of God. So there's one teaching of God for all of mankind. Anyway, in verse 4 of Malachi, chapter 4, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him unto, unto him in horror for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. Now, this is not only for all of Israel. If we turn to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, simple scripture here, 
He gave it to Israel so that Israel can give it to the world. And they have failed to do that. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, but they won't in the future. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, colon, continue the thought, continue the thought, I'm sorry. Fear God, and fearing God is defined in Proverbs 8, verse 13 as hating evil. Fear God and keep his commandments, colon, continue the thought, for this is the whole of man or the whole duty of man. So it's not just the whole duty of Israel to keep the commandments. It's the whole duty of man to do it. And that's Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So we are all commanded as a human race to obey the commandments of God. So these statutes and judgments are not just for Israel, but it's for the entire world. The statutes and judgments, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord the day that will burn as an oven. Verse 6, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. And the Septuagint, the Greek version, the first official translation of the original Hebrew uh, Old Testament into another language, the Septuagint, it states that Elijah shall turn the heart of the fathers to their children and to his neighbor. Okay? And he says, Then I come and smite the earth with a curse or utter destruction. That's what that means in the original Hebrew. So we understand that, and we understand there's going to be great doubt about the timing of his coming, when he's going to come, etc. So God, in his great wisdom and knowledge, foreknew this. And for anyone who is wise, uh, the wise are those that keep the commandments and the fear God and they hate evil, will understand the times that they're living in. And we'll be able to estimate the time of his coming. We won't know exactly when he's going to come. No one knows that, not even Christ himself, as he stated. But we can estimate. God wants us not to be totally lost. And and 1 Thessalonians proves this here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, but of the time... First uh, Thessalonians chapter five verse one. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, but yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. We just described what that that's all about. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as to dwell upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now this is a key verse. I need to talk about this a little bit. Right now, I think it was in September that the Obama administration announced. I think it was September 2nd, that they are getting into the peace process again, trying to divide Jerusalem, which God is totally against. And every time they talk about this, something dramatic happens in the world, hurricanes or, or something else. But anyway, they're talking that again. And the reason why, for you to understand prophecy, you need to focus on that because I'm going to prove to you today that the temple must be built the third temple for all these things to go down that the Bible talks about. So that's the reason why that peace process is very important. Now, they're, they're thinking that they'll be able to finally get a, an agreement that they've been trying to get for, I don't know, hundreds of, well, during the latter half of the 20th, 20th century, of course, and definitely during uh, the beginning of the 21st century, the 20th century and then the beginning of the 21st century, they've been trying to get an agreement. So Netanyahu and President Abbas 
of the uh, Palestinian Authority. They're trying to negotiate and trying to get agreement. Now, the, the thing that that is really the issue, though, that the media hardly ever covers at all. I, I haven't heard them cover this. The Temple Mount, which of course is the area of where the temple was at the time, that is a big fuss. Eventually, the Bible indicates that they will allow the Jews to build this temple. Once the temple is built, that's when all hell will break loose because the Anti Messiah will go into the Holy of Holies and claim, sit on the mercy seat, in all likelihood, and claim that he is God. All right, and that's what the Bible indicates. Anyway, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in the darkness. So he's commanding us not to be in the darkness about all this. That that day should overtake you as a thief. Verse 5, You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this thief in the night again, that Yeshua, uh, or the book of Revelation, defines what that is, too. If you look at Revelation, remember that the judgments of God consist of three sets of seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven plagues. Now, God associates the thief in the night with the sixth plague. If you look at Revelation chapter 16, Revelation chapter 16, with the sixth and seventh plague, I should say, and during the, the, the plague judgments, Revelation chapter 16 Verse 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial, which is a plague, or vial, or bowl, rather, upon the great river Euphrates, which is near the area of Iraq, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth, and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God, or the day of the Lord, God Almighty. Now, this is when Yeshua lets us know, hey, this is what he was talking about as far as the thief in the night. Verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, that not he walketh naked, and they see his shame. So he's warning us, saying, okay, this is, this is around the time when I'm going to come back here. This is the thief in the night that I was talking about. Verse 16, And he gathered them together into the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. So if we are lucky enough to still be alive at this time, the greatest earthquake to ever happen in the history of the world will occur to let everyone know that it is the end. Verse 19, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. All the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. This is in Revelation chapter 16, verse 20. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Uh, I started in Revelation 16, verse 12. 
for those who are keeping track of what I'm doing. Verse 21 of Revelation chapter 16. There fell upon men a great hill out of heaven, a stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hill, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So we know that the thief in the night is talking about the Lord returning to the earth, as is revealed in Revelation chapter 19. All right. So, we need to understand these things, and we need to understand that we are living in the last days, and I'm going to just go over something that I read today from Tim LaHaye's Prophecy Bible. Uh, be careful reading this uh, Prophecy Bible. He definitely has some things that, that he talks about that he's speculating, but there's some other things that he's very right about, and these, these, this is one of the things uh, as far as uh, the signs of the times. It was written by one of his... Uh, colleagues, uh, Mr. David Reagan, and I'm just going to read a little bit of this here. It's on page 919 of the Tim LaHaye Prophecy Study Bible. The biggest thing about Tim LaHaye, uh, he believes in the pre-tribulation rapture in the Bible. If you And I did a Bible study on that, by the way, about uh, when is the rapture, when is the rapture in my archives, and I prove through the scriptures that the rapture definitely occurs at the seventh trump, as God has revealed. But anyway, um, the, the states here on page 919 of Tim LaHaye's Prophecy Study Bible. It says, The prophet Daniel was told by the Lord that many of the Bible's end-time prophecies would remain mysterious in their meaning until the time came for them to be understood. And that's a key point there, to understand that Daniel was not going to understand these things, and no one really was going to understand these things until the time we're living in today. An indication that we are now living in the final days before the Lord's return is to be found in the fact that we can understand prophecies that have never been understood before. Our understanding is based upon two factors, historical developments and technological innovations. An example of an historical development is the reestablishment of the nation of Israel on May 14, 1948. The Bible is full of prophecies that the Jews will be regathered to, the, to their land in the end times right before the return of the Messiah. This is found in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 to 12. For almost 2,000 years, the Jews were dispersed all over the world with seemingly no hope of ever existing again as a nation. Because of this dispersion, the prophecies concerning the end-time existence of Israel were not understandable. The same was true of the prophecies regarding the Jewish occupation of Jerusalem, which occurred on June 7, 1967. The book of Revelation contains several examples of prophecies that have never been understood until recently. Number one, the magnitude of the tribulation slaughter. Revelation 6, chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9 says that one half of the population of the world will die during the initial tribulation judgments one-fourth in the sealed judgments, and one-third of those remaining in the trumpet judgments. Such carnage has never been possible through natural means into the development, and I'm going to talk about this uh, of, uh, later on in the program, of nuclear weapons in 1945, actually August 6, 1945, with the, um, with the uh, detonation of the bomb over Hiroshima and intercontinental ballistic missiles in the 1960s. Number two, the Asian army of 200 million. Revelation says an army of 200 million will march across Asia toward Israel during the tribulation. This is in Revelation chapter 9, 13 and 16, and Revelation 16, verse 12. At the time the book of Revelation was written, the total population of the world was only 200 million. It took until A.D. 1650 for the world's population to double in size, reaching 400 million. Unprecedented population growth took place during the 20th century because of the development of modern medicine. For example, the first antibiotic 
penicillin was not developed until 1927. Okay, so just on those two facts alone, ladies and gentlemen, should convince you that we are living in the last days, but I have some other information. There's so much information, but um, I have another quote that uh, is from the United Nations, and I'm going to read this to you. And it says, according to the inequality predicament, a report on the world social situation, this was written back in 2005, page 1 and also pages 9 to 10. It says, the global commitment to overcoming inequality or readdressing or redressing the imbalance between the wealth and the poor is clearly outlined at the 1995 World Summit for Social Development in Copenhagen and endorsed in the United Nations Millennium Declaration is fading. 80%, that's 80% of the world's gross domestic product, the gross domestic product measures the total market value of all goods and services produced within the country's borders, belongs to the one billion people living in the developed world like the United States, Britain, and Israel. So the developed world consists of countries like that, and this is 80% of the world's domestic product goes to them. The remaining 20% is shared by the 5 billion people living in developing countries. Failure to address this inequality predicament will ensure that social justice and better living conditions for all people remain elusive and that communities, countries, and regions remain vulnerable to social, political, and economic upheaval. It is profoundly disturbing, and I agree, that in a world in which unprecedented levels, now I want to underscore that, unprecedented levels, unprecedented levels of wealth, technical expertise, and scientific and medical knowledge have been obtained, it is, it is most vulnerable in society that consistently lose ground during economic booms. And that said, one of the most visible byproducts of globalization is access to new kinds of wealth and its propensity to increase inequality. Globalization has helped to assinuate, accentuate rather, has helped to accentuate trends that show the wealthiest 20% of the planet accounting for 86% of all private consumption. So the wealthiest 20% accounts for 86% of all private consumption, and the poorest accounting for just above 1%. Now, this is, this is a key statement, and this is from the United Nations, from their publication, Inequality Predicament, a report on the world social situation, 2005. It says, unless some headway is made in refocusing economic policies to help those left behind, progress towards poverty reduction remains uncertain. So that, that is another key to the end times, that more people and more people will suffer. And the Bible talks about a specific generation that fits the profile of what I just read to you. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 14. There is a generation, and it's this generation, because I'm going to prove it to you here, whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. So we are living in that, gener in, in that generation. I just proved that to you. So, a clear picture should be emerging in your mind that we are definitely in the last days, ladies and gentlemen. There's just no doubt about it. Now, 
I'm going to talk about the significance of 1945, and then we're going to get into a simple rendering of Matthew chapter 24. If we just believe what Christ told us. He summarized prophecy. He summarized it. And if you want the detail, you can go to the rest of the prophetic books. But I'm going to go over Matthew 24. But before I go over that, I want to explain something to you. And I need to explain how we got to where we're at today, all right, in terms of history. And a major characteristic of the 21st century is knowledge increasing. And Pulitzer Prize-winning author Thomas L. Friedman, in his book, The World is Flat, a brief history of the 21st century, reveals that there has been three great eras of globalization. The first lasting from 1492, when... Columbus set sail, opening trade between the old world and the new world until around the 1800s. This era shrank the world from a size, a li a size large to a size medium. This era was about countries and, and muscle. The key agent of change was how much muscle, how much horsepower, wind power your country had and creativity you could deploy. Now, this is found in his book, uh, Mr. Friedman's book, The World is Flat, a Brief History of the 21st Century. The second last was from 1800 to the year 2000, interrupted by the Great Depression and World Wars I and II. This era shrank the world from size medium to size small. The key agent of change was multinational corporations or companies. These multinationals went global for markets and labor, spearheaded first by the expansion of the Dutch and English joint stock companies and the Industrial Revolution. In the first half of this era, global integration was powered by failing transportation costs thanks to the steam engine and the railroad, and in the second half, by falling telecommunication costs thanks to the diffusion of the telegraph, telephones, the PCs, satellites, fiber optic cable, and the early version of the World Wide Web. Yet even though the walls were falling that prevented integration of information, there were still many barriers that prevented seamless global integration. In 1998, in 1998 the Internet and e-commerce were just taking off. This period is called Globalization 2.0. So the first one is globalization 1.0. The second is globalization 2.0. Okay. Now, the third started in the year 2000. This era has a unique calendar. Not calendar. Character. It has a unique character. It has shrunk the world from a size small to a size tiny. It is a flat world platform. Individuals have the power to collaborate and compete globally. Individuals and small groups are able to go global so easily and so seamlessly, share information regardless of the distances between them. All this happened around the year 2000. People all over the world started waking up and realizing that they had more power than ever to go global as individuals. Globalization 1.0 and 2.0 were mostly driven by European-American individuals and businesses. China had the biggest economy in the world in the 18th century, yet it was the Western countries, companies, and explorers who were doing most of the globalizing and shaping to the system. But going forward, this will be less and less true. This current era is going to be more and more driven, not only by individuals, but also by a much more diverse, non-Western, non-white group of individuals. Individuals from every corner of the globe are being empowered. This period is called Globalization 3.0, and this is a direct uh, fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel. If we turn to Daniel chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, to get the context. At, at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, 
to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So you should understand that this is talking about something that's going to occur in the future that never has occurred before. Verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So it's going to be a great uh, future for those who believe God's words and and practice pure religion, which is keeping yourself unspotted from the world and taking care of those that are less fortunate than you, like widows and, and the fatherless, and etc. And that's found in James 1, verse 27, as far as the definition of what pure religion is. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. And it gives you the description of the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, seeking knowledge. And knowledge shall be increased. All right, so that tells you right there what the deal is in reference to the knowledge explosion that we have experienced in this 21st century. Okay, now, I want to talk about, well, we'll talk about that in, uh, in yeah, I'll just go, go over Matthew chapter 24 here, and then I'll talk about the significance of, um, the significance of 1945 and a nuclear bomb. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. So the whole focus, ladies and gentlemen, again, is the temple of God in Jerusalem. Verse 2, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that did occur, the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which is right across from the temple, Mount, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, the destruction of Jerusalem, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? So if we want to know the answer to these things, ladies and gentlemen, all we got to do is read Matthew 24. It's that simple. And believe it. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So first of all, he's telling you, don't let anyone deceive you. And then verse 5, For many shall come in my name, just like he came in his father's name. Other people will come in his name, saying, They're Christ, and shall deceive many. So this is telling you that people will actually say that they are the Messiah. And that has occurred. But it's also indicating, based on verse 4, that there will be deception from these individuals too, that those that are claiming to be uh, the Messiah also teach false doctrine. So you should be aware of people saying, claiming that they are um, Messiah and also or some prophet or false prophet, and also those who are, and then what they teach. You ought to be careful about both. Verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must, not, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, so for verse, go back to verse six. So, just like uh, I heard, uh, I'm not going to give his name, but <laughs> there, there's a Torah teacher, fellow Torah teachers, claiming that Damascus would be nuked today in Israel, and of course it hasn't happened. That's a that's a rumor. Um, other things, uh, I hear, I, I look at rumors constantly on the internet about the United States is going to attack Iran, and that may happen, but it may not happen at the time that they say. But those are rumors. We don't know if that's going to happen. But among these rumors, there will be actual wars, and there have been, and it, and it will continue to be. 
Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation. That word should be translated families or kin and kingdom against kingdoms. And there shall be famines. So the first thing after the war, whenever you have a war, there's a famine, of course. And then pestilences, diseases, and earthquakes in various places. And we've had various earthquakes. They have really increased over the years, especially in this century. We've had some devastating earthquakes this year, the one in Haiti and the one in in South America. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, and then shall many be offended and, and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. So this helps you to understand verses 4 to 5 again about the deception. And there will be many false prophets shall arise, and, dece- and they'll deceive many. Verse 12, And because iniquity or sin shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, so people are not going to really care about one another as they don't today. Very few people really care about everyone. Most people only care about their families, their own flesh. Verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And verse 14, and, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The end is defined in Revelation 16, verse 17, when the last bowl or vial is thrown upon the earth, and God says it is done. That's when the end shall come. All right. And verse 15, when you shall therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in a holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Verse 16, then let him which be in Judea, which is the rest, the West Bank today, in the Middle East, flee into the mountains. The nearest mountains to Judea is uh, Petra. Verse 17, let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. So this is talking about what the angel Gabriel was telling Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Okay? And woe unto them that are with child and to them that are sucking those days, that give sucking those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Shabbat or the Sabbath day. Verse 21, for then, and this is what Daniel 12 verse 1 is talking about, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. So this is the generation he was talking about, a generation where we could destroy ourselves, the entire planet. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be short. All right? And then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Verse 24. So this helps you to understand. Verse 24 helps you to understand verses 4 to 5 again, where he says, Take heed that no man deceive you. So many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And verse uh, 24 states, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. So not only are there going to be false Christ, there are also going to be false prophets. And they shall show great signs and wonders. So there's going to be false messiahs and false prophets. Helps you to understand Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 to 5. And shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Verse 26. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. We were in a church that I rather not name, and the leader of the church stated that, Christ came to the church's court case. So uh, this is the fulfillment of prophecy that you have false prophets saying ridiculous things like that. But anyway, verse 27. 
For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even into the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So it's going to be pretty obvious. That's what he's saying when he comes back. Verse 28, for where, wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. That's a description of the destruction of the armies uh, in Revelation chapter 19. Verse 29. Now this is a key verse. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So, it's telling you that the tribulation is going to last until the sun is darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Now, where in the book of Revelation does it talk about that? Because Matthew chapter 24 helps you to understand what the seals, trumpets, and plagues are. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 talks about the seals. The first four seals, for those students of Bible prophecy, you understand those to be the, um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. All right? And the first horseman is deception. Religious deception, geopolitical deception by a new world order government. All right? And also religious deception by all the religions of the world. Most of them. The second seal represents war. The third seal represents economic instability. Christ defined all these in Matthew chapter 24 when he talks about famine, pestilence, earthquakes. All right? He def and then deception. He talked about all these things. He defined these seals for us. The fourth seal represents billions of people dying because of deception, war, economic instability, and disease. The fifth seal represents the Great Tribulation period. Because uh, it says right here, in verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And verse 11, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season, or a little while, unto their fellow servants also and their brethren, that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So this is a time period when there's great persecution. And and through the revelation of Jesus Christ, he stated, the, uh, he stated that the tribulation would last until, let me go back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. He stated that the tribulation would last until, and he says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation. Let me repeat again. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Okay, so in Revelation chapter 6 it talks in verses 9 to 11 talks about the tribulation period. How do I know that? Because in verse 12, which is the sixth seal, it says, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree cast of her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Uh, similar to the description of what Christ stated. Let's go, turn back to Matthew chapter 24 again. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. 
the same event, ladies and gentlemen. Turn back to Revelation chapter 6 again. Revelation chapter 6. It says, And I beheld, verse 12, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Almost the same exact expression of what Jesus Christ stated this event would be like. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree cast of her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So immediately after tribulation, will immediately after the tribulation, which is the fifth seal, the sixth seal is this event that Christ talked about, immediately after the tribulation. Verse 13, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree cast of her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together, and every mountain and every island moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bombman, and every freeman, and, I mean hid rather, themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. So obviously God is going to miraculously, miraculously reveal himself to all of mankind. Mankind is going to see someone sitting on the throne, that's the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? So the day of the Lord period, not the actual day of the Lord, but the period leading to the day of the Lord, has begun at the sixth seal. Okay? And chapter 7 talks about those being protected uh, before the sixth seal. It talks about those coming out of tribulation because the tribulation is over now. So we're going to focus on the day of the Lord period now. And then in, in, in Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 1, talks about uh, the seventh seal being removed, and it talks about the trumpet plagues. All right? Now, how much time do I have left here? One of the things that, that people have been confused about is, is, is the two witnesses. Uh, you have groups thinking that the two witnesses were prophesied during the first half of the seven-year period, and I'm going to talk about that in a future broadcast. Uh, but but if you understand the timing of the the uh, the judgments of God, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven plagues, that, that's impossible to occur. Because when you look at chapter 8 and chapter 9, it goes up into the fifth trumpet. Now, the two witnesses are killed during the sixth trumpet. In Revelation chapter 11, starting... In verse, um, see. It says in verse three, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. If any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devour their enemies. These have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that descends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three and a half days. 
And verse 10, And they shall dwell upon the earth and shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt upon the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon them. Their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither, and they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And verse 13, And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And the earthquake was slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were frightened in God, and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now this is the key verse. Verse 14, The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. The second woe is the sixth trumpet. Your Bible is telling you that the two witnesses were killed during the second woe, which is the sixth trumpet. The third woe cometh quickly. The third woe is the seventh trumpet. In verse 15, And the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kings of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay, so this is scriptural proof that the two witnesses will be murdered and killed at the sixth trumpet, ladies and gentlemen, which is the second woe which is the second woe. So there's no way that they can be killed during the middle of the tribulation, ladies and gentlemen. That is a fallacy. That is an error. And God's word tells you that is an error. Okay? So, and then for more proof of this, Revelation 9, Revelation chapter 9, actually Revelation 8, verse 13, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. A great sour, great sour, great sour to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Okay, so the three woes are, are three additional trumpets. They are the uh, the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet respectively. Okay? And uh, Revelation chapter 9 talks about the fifth trumpet was going to occur. And in verse 12 it states, One woe was passed, and behold, there come two woes thereafter. In verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded. So we know that the second woe is the sixth trumpet. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Okay? So this is proof, ladies and gentlemen, that, again, the two witnesses, for those who are struggling with this, the two witnesses are murdered and killed during the second woe, which is the sixth trumpet, which occurs according to Christ's own words after the tribulation. And, and that's found in Matthew 24, verse 29, which is backed up by Revelation chapter 12. No, Revelation chapter 6, starting in verses 12 to 17. Okay? That is the truth of that. So I just wanted to clarify that for those people who are struggling with that. Back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. So, in verse 29 is a summation of the, the day of the Lord, the, the period of the day of the Lord, okay, which in all indications it appears that it lasts one year. Okay, and then in verse 30 talks about what happens in Revelation chapter 19. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. With great power and great glory. And he shall send his 
angels were for well actually Revelation chapter nineteen, that's talking about when he lands on the Mount of Olives. This is talking about what's going to occur at the seventh trump. And he shall send his uh, angels with a great sound of a trumpet, right, that's the seventh trump, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. So this is talking about Revelation chapter 11, verses uh, 15, I think, to, I think it's 19 or 21, let me see. Revelation, okay, Revelation chapter 11. Starting in verse 15 to 19, right, okay. So that's talking about that time period, and of course after that you have the seven seals, and you have the seven trumpets, and the seven trump initiates the seven last bowl or vile plagues, which is outlined in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. Then Revelation 19 tells you the glorious return of Christ when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. Prior to that, he resurrects the saints, and they are taken up into heaven, and they are in heaven until the last um, trumpet, uh, vile plague, rather, not the trumpets, but the last plague is thrown upon the earth. And that is uh, talked about in Revelation chapter 16. In Revelation chapter 19, there's a description of Christ and the saints and the angels all coming back to earth. And it's a another description of Zechariah 14, when the Messiah, Yeshua, and his servants land on the Mount of Olives to destroy the army that is gathered together to fight him, which is uh, outlined in Revelation chapter 16. The thief in the night situation. Okay. All right, in the remaining five minutes that I have, I want to explain the significance of what happened in 1945 as quickly as I can here. Uh, in 1945, August 6, President Harry Truman stated the following during his announcement that the U.S. had dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima says, the basic power of the universe has been harnessed by war by the United States. The fact that we can, can release atomic energy ushers in a new era in man's understanding of nature's forces. Atomic energy may in the future supplement the power that comes from coal, oil, and falling water, but at present it cannot be produced on a basis to compete with them commercially. Okay, so he's stating here, but under the present circumstances, it is not intended to divulge the technical processes of production of all the military applications pending further examination of possible methods of protecting us and the rest of the world from the danger of sudden destruction. So President Harry Truman, back on August 6, 1945, let the world know that we have entered a new era of destruction. And that's what Christ was referring to when he stated that this generation shall not come to pass till all these things be fulfilled. The nuclear bomb generation began in 1945, ladies and gentlemen, as proven by Harry Truman and what he stated. And that's the generation that Christ was talking about here when he states that uh, the parable of the fig tree, many people think is Israel and all that, but he's, he's telling you when you see all these things, know that that is that these prophecies are coming to pass, and we are starting to see these things. And verse 34, verily I say unto you, this generation, what generation? A nuclear bomb generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall not pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now, what's the generation, according to the Bible? Revelation, I mean, not Revelation, um, Psalm 90. Psalm 90 tells you what a generation is. If I can find the scripture here. 
The days of our years are three scores and ten. That's 70 years. And if by reason of strength, be four score years. So a generation, according to the Bible, is 70 to 80 years. If you add 70 to, to um, 1945, you get 2015. If you add 80 to that, you get 2025. Many people like to start from when Israel became a nation in 1948. I can understand why. So we have two scenarios to look at. Uh, Christ had come back as early as 2015 and as late as 2028, according to what he's saying here, as far as what a generation is. If you start to count from uh, the time that Israel became a nation, you add uh, 70 to 1948, you'll get 2018. Uh, if you add 80 years to 1948, you get 2028. If you start from the time when we entered the nuclear bomb generation, then we have 2015 at the earliest, at the latest, 2025. That's what I'm going to go by. That's what makes sense. I'm not going to be predicting uh, dates and so forth and exact times, okay? But but he did state this, that we should be able to estimate, and First Thessalonians chapter 5 reveals that, and that's what I just did. Because in verse 36, but of, that, of that day and hour, he didn't say the year, he said of that day and hour knows no man. Okay, so no one can say at this specific date this will occur. Okay, it says, no, no man, not the angels in heaven, but my Father, not even the Messiah knows. Okay? But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in the marriage. Okay? And he compared all these days also to the days of Lot. And the days of Lot, what was the thing that caused destruction? The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was homosexuality. And today, this country is embracing that. And that is another sign of the end times, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope that in this program I did the best I could to simplify that we are definitely living in the last days when Russia and the United States have a total uh, armament amount uh, as far as nuclear warheads of 20,000. And they can destroy this earth just by using 1,700 of them. So ladies and gentlemen, May God bless and keep you, and I'll speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs>